City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome into another episode of The Stinger. I'm your host, James Plara of allhornets.com, and I'm coming to you within 24 hours of the new owners of the Charlotte Hornets, Gabe Plotkin, Richard Schnall, hosted their press conference yesterday at Spectrum Center. They're officially now in as majority owners. Michael Jordan is no longer the majority owner of the team. And I wanted to share some of my thoughts of how I thought their first press conference went, some of the key questions that were asked, and there were some good ones, credit to the media in the room, um, and some of the kind of big takeaways. So the first thing I thought was notable was no appearance of Michael Jordan. Um, throughout this entire process, we haven't heard from him, you know, other than statements and pre PR drivel, if I'm being honest. I I kind of wondered if he might be there as a handing over um, action or even the, considering he's retaining a minority stake in the team. I wondered if he might be at their new press conference. He wasn't. Um, we you know come to expect that now after following this team for a number of years. He is very much removed himself from the public spotlight. And I wrote an article about that earlier this year and why I think that is. But it does feel like, to some extent, I feel Hornets fans deserve a little bit of closure. This feels a little bit like slipping out the back door um, without really ever speaking to the media about why, you know, actually answering questions about his time as owner rather than just premeditated written for him statements. So that was a, I was just hopeful that might be the case that we might hear something. And it was a shame that we, we don't get to. And I don't ever imagine we probably will ever hear from Michael Jordan. Now, now he's not the, the principal owner. Um, I don't expect we'll ever hear from him publicly regarding the Charlotte Hornets, unless there's some serious good news and he might pop back up at some point. Um, my first impressions, look, I have to say these guys did their research. They ticked a lot of the boxes for new owners and how you want to make a great first impression. Um, I mean, let's be honest, right? Within the first 10 minutes, they praised the purple starter jackets. They praised, talked about how they loved Muggsy Bogues. And they talked about how actually Charlotte is a top 10 to 15 market, which we'll get onto that later. Those little things, uh, just straight away, it's like, oh, this is a way to get your fan base pumped. These, these are little quotes that the media are going to love. Like, let's not let's not forget, these guys are New York traders, basically. Wall Street guys. And they've managed to, within the first 10 minutes there, almost make you feel like they're just like one of you as a fan by, by throwing in about their love of the team and back in the 1980s and, and, and all that stuff. Um, so really smart to do. Um, I really hope a lot of it is genuine. It, it felt genuine when I was watching it. I'll be honest, it did. Um, and I also thought it was really smart. They revealed actually that there are 20 owners in total in their ownership group. That's a lot of minority owners. And a lot of those are local owners. And they talked about how they're proud that their ownership group is local and diverse, which is definitely a positive sign. Um, it'll be interesting to see 
20 owners is a lot of people to keep happy. How is the alignment of that new ownership group going to evolve and work together? What are the dynamics? It doesn't seem like they're all people who have known and worked with each other before. You know, they've gone out and recruited some of these local owners, which everything's great now, okay? This is the this is the honeymoon period. You just bought the franchise. You're doing the press conference. When there's big decisions or things start to maybe go, not go how people want, or there's different power dynamics, how is that going to function? How is that local ownership versus the, you know, gay park and rich now ownership? What's that dynamic going to be like? I think it'll be fascinating. It's not something you obviously hear reported about very often. Um, but I know like in Atlanta, which Richest now was previously, there were reports about minority owners, you know, getting involved in front office operations. That was, you know, one of the reasons Travis Schlenk ended up moving on. I, I have no idea if Richard Schnell was involved in that, whatever. I'm not saying he was, but I'm just saying that as an example of where like minority owners can have an impact in a franchise and make things maybe a little bit more complicated or uh, a less less of a straightforward path. But bringing in those local owners was a really smart move because, again, straight away, if they didn't have any of that, it's just who are these two guys? One lives in New York, one lives in Florida, who have made a lot of money uh, basically on Wall Street. How are they going to connect with this Charlotte Hornets local community? And straight away, by bringing in these local owners, they've got you know J. Cole, Eric Church, they've got buy-in from minute one, and that's super smart and you know very strategical. And I think that's a a positive sign that they've kind of thought that far forward to think, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to land this with Charlotte Hornets fans? So um, I think that's definitely something that should be should be praised, and I think it's a very smart move by them. I thought one of the biggest questions I was going to ask if I had been able to, but if someone else asked it, I think it might have been even Nick Carboni. Uh, what is Jordan's ongoing role going to be? Um, now, I thought their, their answer was kind of non-committal. Basically said that he'll be there when he needs us. He's a great resource. Um, they didn't stay, say kind of exactly what his role will be in decision-making. They talked about if it's questions about play, if it's questions about the league. You know, he's got a lot of experience. Um, but one thing that we do know is that he's going to remain on as an alternate governor. What does an alternate governor mean? Well, according to, uh, I think, the NBA Players Association, I found a little definition here. An alternate governor shall be a person who has been appointed as a member or alternate member of the Board of Governors of the Association. And that's regarding the NBA. That's in accordance to Article 18. So I think he is, I, I know Adam Silver is very keen on having Michael Jordan retain a role on the Board of Governors, being able to come to those Board of Governor meetings to share a player perspective, you know, having someone with his experience, relevant of what the Hornets have done on and off the court. He's been a hugely influential owner in the NBA uh, kind of bringing players and, and ownership closer together. and And he's been a, a key person for them when it came to the uh, Black Lives Matter movement um, and, and other campaigns and things that have come up. What his role will be with Charlotte, I still think is unclear. Um, for those hoping that Jordan is gone and these new owners are in and we don't have to ever hear from him ever again, 
You won't ever hear from him, but I still do think he will have a voice in the room. He is going to be one of these 20 owners. And I can promise you as the former owner and, you know, probably arguably the greatest player of all time, his opinion will carry weight in that room of 20 owners. Um, he won't have the final say anymore. I don't think you're probably going to see all of his guys getting hired like has been, you know, some of the, uh, what we've become accustomed to over the years. And just while we're talking about this, I wrote a massive feature-length article on Michael Jordan looking at kind of where his ownership era went wrong uh, for allhornets.com. If you go to my Twitter, you'll find it pinned on there at the top page. It's probably the, one of the proudest things I've ever written. Um, I wanted to kind of chronicle the Bobcat slash Hornets history for a while now, and I felt this gave me a path to do it. So please go read that, and I would appreciate any comments. Um, I promise you, you will learn things or you'll be reminded of stories that you had forgotten about or did not ever know about. Um, and some of these are you know, pretty incredible stories. And there are also some stuff from Source inside the organization as well. So please make sure you go read that. Next, top 10 to 15 market. Charlotte is a sports town, okay? They made the proclamation, I think it was Gabe Plotkin, who's going to be, uh, he's going to be the, he's the co-owner with Rich Nell, and they're taking it five years at a time to act as essentially the lead owner. Um, so Rich Schnell is in for the first five years, and then come 2028, it is due to be Gabe Plotkin. And I think that makes sense because Rich Schnell has previous ownership experience with the Atlanta Hawks. Gabe Plotkin's now got five years to kind of come up to speed and to learn the ropes a little bit. But Gabe Plotkin said this. Didn't really offer too much reason as to how or why Charlotte is a top 10 to 15 market. I have no idea what he is measuring that with. He talked about the weather being great. Talked about it being a great place to live. Um, I don't know if those things make it a top 10, 15 market in the NBA. But again, you're talking about you want fans to get excited. You want to raise expectations. Um, you want to give off a, a promise of a better future. It's a great thing to say. Whether I believe it or not, I think it's probably a, I don't think it's a bottom five market like it probably currently is, but I think it's probably somewhere between. Somewhere in that like 15 to 22 range is what I would probably suggest. Um, you know, when you take into account size of TV market, um, population, just reach. Those are some of the things. Top 10, I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I, I understand why they say it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For those hoping to hear about a brand new strategy of going into free agency and you know making loads of trades and competing and winning a championship next year, right? I think they only use the term, you know, to win a championship. That old cliche, our goal is to win a championship. I think they only use that once 
which has to be some type of record for new owners when they buy a team, which is normally something that they mention five, six, seven times. I think they're very wary about managing expectations here. They very much played down free agency. They gave a pretty, you know, vanilla answer on free agency. Obviously, they're not going to say, we don't going to use free agency, but they, they played it down. They talked about how free agency has changed. It's not how it once was, um, which is true. If you look at free agency over the last couple of years, you don't have, you know, the best players going to free agency too often anymore. It's more about signing extensions, demanding trades down the line. Um, but that was definitely something that I felt they, they did not want to come in and be like, we're going to go and sign player X, player Y. We want this to be a free agent destination. We're going to go after big name guys. They did not do that. They distanced themselves from that. What I actually think they they preached of was more of the same of what the team currently does, which I know a lot of you will be rolling your eyes, but they talked about being patient for the long term. There are no short-term fixes. Player development, again, was a term that was used three, four, five, six times um, as an area of focus, which is exactly what we've heard from Mitch Kupchak in recent times. So for those hoping to see the impact of necessarily like this change next season, I doubt you're going to see much of that. What I do think they're going to do is invest to make that player development system better. And that's through a range of things. They talked about analytics, player development, strategy, sports and performance. That's probably relating to medicine, sports science. Those are some of the areas that they've talked about focusing investment early on. And those are things that take time. You're not going to see an impact from a new sports performance center until that is built, researched, staffed, up and running. Um, I like hearing about the increased investment into analytics. It's been well known now that Charlotte has one of the smallest and probably least vocal analytics staff um, in the NBA. And having a, a greater team there, I think is important to catch up with the rest of the league. Um, but I think patience is more of the thing that's going to be preached here for those wanting that quick fix. I didn't think it's coming. It is about helping create an environment where players can excel. It is still sounds like drafting and developing is going to be their preferred method. But there's a lot of things that need to improve for that. You know, look at the gym in the Hornets practice facility. If you've ever seen it on the social media, I mean, I've seen, uh, and when I say gyms, I mean uh, the weight room, right? So get my British, British-ism out of there. We call it gym, but you call it the weight room. The Hornets weight room is not fit for purpose for a world-class NBA team. And that's just one minor example of where the team are behind. You look at these, some of these other practice facilities that have been built in recent years, and we'll get onto that in a minute. Charlotte are, are way behind. And when you talk about play development being key, well, you need to have the facility that match up with developing people to, to reach their full potential. If what you've got available to you is letting you down, then they're never going to be able to do that. Also, those looking for changes in the front office, um, the answer they gave was you know, pretty secure. Uh, we are not looking at any short-term changes at the minute. Long-term, if we want to, we will we want to evaluate the front office before making any rash decisions. That's what they said. And I actually think that's the right thing to do. I don't like any, not in basketball, 
any business for someone new to come in and make changes within the first 12 months. Like, unless, unless there's, I don't know, uh, real perform like issues within the staff. Um, there are complaints, ongoing sagas of things that you need to come in and change quickly. But uh, on the court, you might argue there are real issues. But in terms of within the organization, there aren't any at the minute. Uh, the staff team and taking the time to actually understand the team to work with the people to understand the NBA landscape just take 12 months and they've got that now you know to make any changes now it'd be very very late going into the season anyway all a lot of the candidates people are settled down for the now for the upcoming season it's not the right time to make changes for coaching staff for GM staff both Mitch Kupchak and Steve Clifford have got one-year contracts. You know, they're due to expire next summer when the new, and that'll be 12 months on from the ownership. And I think that's probably done on purpose. I think Michael Jordan, when he gave out those contract extensions to Steve Clifford and Mitch Kupchak last summer, he will already have known that he was going to be doing this. They'll have already had these discussions. Timelines will have had an idea on. And it doesn't surprise me at all that it's probably been lined up on purpose that Jordan wanted to have a handover the franchise with people in place, but not tied up to these super long-term contracts that um, are going to, you know, hamstring and, and put any new ownership group, you know, having to, if they want to move in a different direction, have to pay someone off for three or four years. So I think that will all have been done on purpose. They have a year here where Kupchak, Clifford can essentially make a case for their job. If, if I mean, I know Steve Clifford will want to stay on and coach. That guy will coach till he can't anymore, right? Mitch Kupchak, maybe slightly different. We've talked, you know, we've heard rumors about an advisory role going forward. Maybe he will step down at the end of this and go, that's that's my run done. Um, I, if you had to ask me, I think Mitch Kupchak changing within the next 12 months is probably the most likely thing. Uh, probably more so than the coaching, but that's also possible too. If they if they fail to make the play in at least this year, I would see a hard a hard path for bringing Steve Clifford back as as coach uh, for a new ownership group that just doesn't feel like a uh, the right direction. The one thing I will say is if they do want to change the coach, they need to get that GM sorted first. You do not want to have Mitch Kupchak recruiting a new coach halfway through this season to the end of next se this se upcoming season, only for then Mitch Kupchak to be changed in another six to eight months afterwards. And then you've got a coach who was hired by the previous GM. That is the order these things should play out. And I hope if they do decide to make long-term staffing changes, that's how they do it. But I'm happy that they're not coming in and making these rash decisions. You know, they they've seen a guy like Matt Ishbia with the Suns um, Alex Rodriguez from the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, they've come in and they've made massive trades within days almost of them taking over the team. And I think they've seen that and gone, we don't want to be that type of owner. We don't want to come in and meddle, crash, bang, wallop. Uh, we want to take our time. We want to review these things. And I think that's where you got, you know, Richard Schnell, who's got that experience of being a minority owner in Atlanta. He's seen how it works a little bit. He's not your typical just new owner who's never been part of an NBA team. And it's like, oh, look, a new toy. I think he's looking at things the right way. And they're never going to say anything different, I'll add, by the way. Like, even if they did, were going to change Mitch Kupchak in the next six months, 
They're not going to say that at the introductory press conference. But I, I honestly do believe what he said there. I don't think it makes any changes fixing it now. I think at least to the end of next season, unless there's serious like poor performance from a team perspective, maybe there could be a coaching change in the middle of the season, potentially. But again, I think unlikely. Um, I, I like the way that they're handling things. Um, they talked a little bit about the team being in a great position going forward, uh, a great, great position to create them exactly. Um, that's with, you know, a lot of their draft assets in the future. Obviously, they've got this one pending first round pick, which may or may not go this year. But other than that, they've got pretty full cupboard of draft picks. They've got a good young team core they talked about. They're never going to say anything different. They talked about the injuries last year. I thought that was all pretty, pretty standard stuff. Um, who knows what their real view is is on the team. I think if I had to guess, their view is probably there are some guys with potential on this team going forward, but we have no idea if the current team as situated is good enough to be a playoff team in Eastern Conference in the next two, three years. And we'll have to see a lot about that in the next 12 months. Arena renovation, something that was asked about. Um, there was a lot of a lot of kind of talk around this. I felt this is something they spoke about a lot. And I think that's because there was a meeting in Charlotte just this week where the city discussed about some of the investment going towards the arena renovation. Um, that is confirmed and agreed. They said that that is in. There is gonna be some money there. I think it's around 200 million for renovating Spectrum Center. And Rich and I talked about how. Spectrum Center is going to look and feel very different. He's got some great ideas from experience with Atlanta um, about how they can make some of those changes and make it a better, a better uh, experience for fans. So we know that's happening. That is a welcome additional investment. What there's less uncertainty about was a practice facility. Now, some of you might remember, I think it was last off season, there was... Uh, New is about a potential new practice facility, which would be above the transport terminal, which would be essentially across the street from Spectrum. It seems like if you followed the news recently, there has been maybe a little bit more questions around that. But what Richard Snell basically did say is there will be a new practice facility at some point in the near future. Again, he talked about his experience with Atlanta. They just built a brand new one there. And he talked about how that really changed the entire franchise. So. And he said, it will result in a practice facility. I don't think they know exactly where or what that's going to look like yet. Whether it's involved in that transport center, whether it's not, whether it's out of town, uh, I have no idea. And I don't think they really have the details yet either. But the good news is there will be a new practice center. They seemed almost certain of that. Um, and I would imagine that's probably going to be pretty high in their priority list. Again, when I talked about not feeling the impact of those new owners straight away next season, I think this is the kind of stuff the new ownership route will be focusing on. Not, you know, how can we be a top six seed in the East next year? TV rights. Another question they were asked about. Um, their answer was, not 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 that informative if we're being honest they basically said uh someone asked oh, where will be fans be able to watch the hornets going forward he said we do not know the answer to that question they're under contract with bally sports until 25 26 
they obviously acknowledge that there are some questions around Bally Sports with their potential uh, struggling financially, that organization, and if it'll exist. But assuming they continue to exist, that's where Hornets games will be shown. Um, if whatever reason Bally Sports were not to be there, that there would be an alternative. So not the answer that maybe some fans were wanting. I know, I believe it was either, I think the Phoenix Suns, Matt that was one of the first things he said, is basically when he took over, that they were taking over the streaming rights. But I don't know what the deal was with their contract. If their contract had just expired previously, if he decided to buy out the contract so that he could take control of the streaming rights for the Phoenix Suns. But it pretty much looks like this. If Bally Sports still exist, the Hornets will be shown on there for at least the next three seasons. If they were to no longer exist, then I think this ownership group might get a little bit more creative a little bit earlier and look at creating a better alternative. But there is only so much that they can control with this Bally Sports contract currently signed. That's pretty much everything for my takeaways from the press conference. Um, like if I was to grade this, I would give this a straight A. I thought they were uh, realistic without overpromising. I thought they'd done their research. I thought they came across really well. Um, I think they've been smart and with how they've approached it to this point. I'm interested to see how visible they will be as owners going forward. You know, will they be attending press conferences? Will they speak to the media? Uh, you see a very much a different approach to this throughout the NBA. But already they did an exclusive Q&A with Rod Boone on the Charlotte Observer, which you can uh, you can go uh, read on charlotteobserver.com, hear about that. That's a good start. You know, most new owners will do a, an exclusive interview with the, the local beat reporter as they get appointed. The question is, will they keep that going? What if the season goes badly? Will they be as approachable, active, talkative? I would hope they would. You know, I think I think NBA owners have a sense of responsibility that, you know, sometimes GMs and president of basketball operations, they can't answer questions that reporters are asking because it's not for them to decide. It's really comes from ownership. So I hope they do. But overall, I was pretty impressed. Um, they didn't come in and overpromise. I think the impact will be felt in five years more than it will be in the next two. And I'm interested to keep following the story as it evolves. Um, and to, to hear about maybe some of the rumblings throughout the NBA of maybe how this changes things in Charlotte going forward. So thank you very much for listening. Me and Chase will be back soon with our podcast. We are still waiting on some PJ Washington news. Um, hopefully we'll get some movement on that. And we'll catch you next time. Make sure to give us a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Go check out our work on allhornets.com. I mentioned about that uh, Michael Jordan ownership era article that I wrote earlier. Please go read that. Please. It's say it's one of the best things I've ever written. Um, and I'll catch up to you next time. 